Uh, we're in John right now. We're in chapter 8 this morning. In our series, we're, call, we're calling So That You May Believe. We're looking at different narratives that John wrote to encourage us to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and our Savior and the one who gives life, the one who is bread, the one who is water, the one who is light. And uh, so if you want to turn to John 8, that's where we're going to be. This is a story that you have to be familiar with, whether you've been in the church or not through your life, and that is the the situation where a a woman is brought before Jesus in the temple court by the religious leaders, and and they want to judge her, and they want to put Jesus on the spot to judge her and and test him and and create this situation that he has a no-win. There's no way for him to win within. It's it's really a, a... story of intense conflict. Uh, it would be hard to imagine. We'll, we'll try to imagine what it would be like to be there, but that's the place that we are. But I do have to say, although this, we are studying the book of John and the writings of John, this excerpt from the scripture, if you're looking at it in your Bible or however you're uh, reading the Bible, there are little brackets around it because this is a story likely written by one of the other guys, like uh, Luke or something. It's more in the Lucan sort of style and it's inserted in there. So it's not a part of the actual original text, but is absolutely congruent with who Jesus is and how he interacted and brought mercy and grace into very difficult situations. So it's important to note that up front. But let's read it together. Uh, John 8, and we'll start in 2. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this is a woman who has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone this woman, such a woman. So what do you say? And they said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the ground, and they continued to ask him, and he stood up and he said, Let him who is without sin among you throw the first stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, from now on, sin no more. And I want to add this next note to the It's in the next phrase of the passage. And again, Jesus spoke, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Amen. Amen. Yes. Uh, Last Sunday, we talked about another situation where Jesus calls himself the bread of life. And we talked about how how we tend to find things in our lives. We look consistently and always for something to fill us. When Jesus says, the only way you can be filled, the only way you're never going to be hungry is if you're filled with me. I am the bread of life. So everything else you're looking for is going to leave you hungry and eternally starve you. We're coming back to that in a way because what's happening here is that there is a woman and there are these men who are accusing her who have been filling themselves with something. They've been choosing something that is against God, against against what he would have, and in that way, they are, they're destroying themselves. And it is being brought into the light. The things that, in particular, she has done have been brought into the light. And remember at the end of this, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. When the, we need to put, I want to encourage us to put ourselves in her place for just a moment, where 
the sin, the rejection of God, that our desire to fill ourselves is brought into the light, what, what is the result of that? That's the question. What is the result of when we try to fill ourselves with something else, with that being brought into the light, being exposed? When that, when that happens, in this story, we see three different things happening. One is this. It confirms condemnation. When those things, when that desire is, in acting on that desire is brought into the light, it, it confirms condemnation. It exposes self-righteousness. And it reveals mercy. So that's where we're going today. Uh, when those things are brought into the light, they confirm condemnation, expose self-righteousness, and they reveal mercy. In particular, when they're brought into the light of Jesus. And I, I guess I want to ask you, to, uh, this, is, this is a hard passage to think about applying, I think, especially in this sense. To bring before Jesus the things that we are most ashamed of, uh, even maybe only slightly ashamed of, the things where we have been trying to fill ourselves, what are those things? And can we bring them before him? And what would it look like if those were in the light of Jesus? What are they? What would it be like? It's hard to imagine this woman's situation. When I read it, I kind of read it fast, and we, I don't know that we picture it, but just listen, listen to this. Early in the morning, he came to the temple. All, so a lot of people were there in the temple. Okay, so this... They were outside. They weren't in a place like this. They were outside of the actual temple facility itself in the courtyard area. Early in the morning, all the people, and he sat down and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. So this must have been somewhat of an uncomfortable situation. And placed her in the midst of them. Now, I don't want to minimize what she has done. There is no... Somehow... Uh, it's easy to read this and, and sort of look at her with some kind of compassion. I don't think necessarily we need to do that because she's probably wrecking two homes. We don't know all of what the baggage is and all the repercussions of what has happened with this act of adultery. We don't want to minimize that. But what I notice that we can com- connect with her in is that we do not like to be exposed. We don't want to be exposed. Uh, we don't like to be caught. We don't want to be caught in something that we're embarrassed about when we know we're filling ourselves with something that is not of Jesus. We don't like to be transparent. Even with Jesus, with, with the God we can't actually see, we don't like to be transparent with our friends, with our mentors. It's really hard to do and she was forced into this situation. She was forced to have what she had done exposed in a pretty brutal way. I mean, it, was, it had to be totally humiliating. I mean, picture it. This is a situation as solemn as this, and here she is, brought right in front. That, that had to be a painful, horribly embarrassing situation. I can't imagine. I, when I think about it, just... You know, that heat when somebody calls you out in public or in front of other people and you feel that embarrassment? Uh, maybe that's never happened to you. But that sort of the heat of that embarrassment that is something that um, is intense. 
And, and she was not, not only was this like embarrassing for her, but she was a pawn of these other people who had power over her. So it was even more humiliating, right? They weren't coming to, they weren't asking to help her because she was caught in a difficult thing. They were trying to condemn her. She was just being used, which is even worse. And death was a possible outcome of this. So this is a really hard situation that she's in. All these things that are going through her mind. This could be the last day of my life. Why did I do this? What is happening? How did I get here? I'm so humiliated. These are all, this is my whole town, right? Looking at me like this. I just, it's a horrible thing to think of what that might've felt like. But again, we can't minimize what she had done. It's just that the being exposed for it was really a very difficult thing. See, she was trying to meet a very deep-seated need. She would not have made those bad decisions because everybody knows that adultery is a really bad decision. Nobody says, hey, that's a good idea. This is always a bad idea, and we all know it. She set aside her all that she knew as morally right. Uh, she set aside her commitments. She, she broke through barriers that are... Um, where she justified her actions. She chose to justify what she was doing. She thought, maybe this relationship will fix it. Maybe if this thing happens, if I work this out, if I do this thing, then everything's going to be okay. Now, I can relate to that. Somehow she had tricked herself into thinking that doing something illicit and totally outside of the bounds of what she knew was right, deep down inside, she, she, she thought that would meet her need. That's what we do. We somehow, we fill ourselves with bread that will not meet our need. It, not necessarily always sexual by any means, but a lot of times it is. That, and that's the thing. Uh, just a note here that the sexual desire is good. Everything that's good about a sexual relationship in marriage is good and a gift from God. That is a good thing, but it gets broken. Now, we all struggle with this. It's just, the, I don't know why, it's just how God has allowed it to be and the consequences of our, trans, our sin have magnified this thing. We live in a very over-sexualized culture. If you haven't struggled with sexual sin, you will. And if you don't, you did. So we're all in the same boat. (laughs) We believe and we are taught that our need is going to be met by the perfect sexual encounter. I mean, just anything, everything points at that. For some reason, this is just this place that we go. We can't help it. So I, I have a couple of suggestions for you. In regard to this, for whatever age you are, wherever you are, um, one is be be transparent and bring before a friend that you sincerely trust what it is that you are dealing with sexually. Find someone that you can trust to share this with. Step one, she did not have a choice. She was her sin, her rejection of God and her filling herself with something else was brought before God against her will. We have a choice. The odds are that the person you talk to has been there before. And um, if you hope to be married someday, if you are married, 
if you're single, this is, this is something that's helped me tremendously, is determined to be faithful to one person. If you are young and you're single and you're wondering, how am I going to survive this onslaught of over-sexualization and all the things that I'm thinking I agree with, is to decide and determine with Jesus to be fully devoted, faithful to one person in the future. Because we think of being faithful like within marriage. Well, I'm in in marriage and I'm just going to be faithful. I'll never think about anybody else. I'll be so satisfied. Is that how it goes, married people? Um, Yeah. (laughs) So uh, if we determine early to be faithful to one person, if we're going to be faithful here in marriage, why not be faithful before and be determined to do that? And we're going to struggle and we're going to fall, we're going to mess up, but be faithful. And we're in marriage, be faithful. If we're um, in a period of time, like we're older or whatever, we're single, be faithful to one person, even if you don't know who that person is. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying it's a fix or anything like that. But the concept of being faithful to one person is, is so helpful. And in this situation, she had chosen not to be faithful to the whatever, whoever that one person was. And she had her bad choice brought into the light. And if you remember just a few chapters earlier, Jesus has something really bad happen in, in the temple grounds, and he goes nuts, right? He throws a temper tantrum, turns over the tables, starts kicking these people out. But here's a situation that was probably more intense and very public and brutal and cruel. And he has the right to be angry both at her and at these people who are judging her, but he, he doesn't get angry. He actually, as it describes, is very calm. He like kneels down and, you know, thinks for a minute before he says anything. And the condemnation that she feels is real and right. She should feel condemned. It's just a harsh situation that she is in here publicly. But instead, he postpones dealing with her and he turns to these other people and brought into the light is their self-righteousness. And that's where we need to turn now. See, they had justified humiliating this woman. Somehow, right, they had gotten to the point where they said, it is totally okay for us to do this horrible thing. Can you imagine how uncomfortable this would be? These guys that we like trust as leaders bring somebody up in front in this shameful situation and, cre- and use her as a pawn. I mean, this is a, they had to really jump through some hoops emotionally and intellectually to do this thing. I, I was, when I, come to these, these narratives, I always try to put myself in the place of the people and think, how did they get to the place where they actually could do this thing? But they justified themselves. They probably had a list of reasons. They were on a mission. And I don't know if you know anybody like this, but when they decide that they're right, then they're right. None of you probably are like that. But, well, um, so... Let me, let me see if this makes sense to you. I don't know if you've done any of those things that I just mentioned, but I really do believe that we fill ourselves, we sustain ourselves with self-justification. We're always looking for ways to justify who we are and what we're doing and how we're right. This is, this is the, uh, the complete context of the conflict I have with Claire, my wife, because I'm right. Right? <laughs> Yeah, she's, 
Yeah, I know she'll hear I said that, but uh, it's the truth because I'm right, and this is how we operate. We want to be right. We must be right, and, and many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, we, uh, we may not drag people into public, but we drag them into public with our words, right? Have you ever, like, seeded some words that might go out? How is that different? I mean, you're right to do it. You're right to think that thing about those people who hurt you, right? To just write them off and forget them, right? Isn't that correct? We are right to do that because that was painful. We justify, we fill ourselves with that justification so I feel good about me and everything rather than exemplifying mercy. And in that, I am just like those dudes, I always, I always want to think, oh, I'm, I'm like the, the woman, you know, I'm like her. I, I have a problem. I, I, I need to go before Jesus. But really, I'm, I'm just like these guys. So here's another thing we can relate to about them. There are a couple more things. One is that they're trying to test him. They want to discredit him. So they bring this basically poor and, and downtrodden person, uh, at least spiritually and emotionally, before him in, pr- in front of several people And if he sides with her, he's rejecting the law that's supported by the temple that they're within, right? So that's a problem. And then if he support, okay, make sure I said that right. If he supports her, he rejects the law. And if he supports the law, then he condemns this woman. And he's been so identified with the the underprivileged and the, the people who are in need that now we're in it. He's in a real tough bind. Right? Or so they think. There's no way he can get out of this. We're going to damage him. They're threatened by him, so they want to hurt him. And this is how they step in. They try to put him in this position he cannot win. Well, that's something you never want to do with Jesus. FYI, if you don't get anything else out of this, don't do that. But, you know, um, I don't know about you, but from time to time, I test Jesus. I test, I test the God of the universe. I say, Lord, you know, this is what I want. This is the way it should be, of course, because I'm right. And then if you don't do this, my faith is going to be damaged. Here's a hoop for you to jump through. And if you don't, then thus and such. And I may not say that out loud. I may be like a really good Christian guy. And I'd say, oh, Lord, whatever your will is, as long as it's mine, I'm fine with what that is. And, um, and some of us, we have deep, dear things that we're praying for, things we want very badly. We want to be free from sexual temptation. We want to find a mate. We want to be faithful. We want to be able to give. We want to serve well. We don't want to be filling ourselves with everything that comes our way and just changing our attention. We want him to answer those things for us in, in, in a positive and in, in affirming way. However, so many times we lay those things out as tests. Lord, if this doesn't get fixed, if you don't fix me, if I'm not right, if I have, if I have to continue to deal with this, then I'm stepping back. You, might not, you must not be there if you're not doing what I want. So I'm putting him, again, in a place of being tested. Yeah, we, uh, we trot out what we want in front of him and test him with it. Uh, I love how Jesus responds to them. He sounds like he peacefully gets up and says, well, okay, whichever one of you guys doesn't have sexual sin, because he's talking about that. He's not talking about any kind of sin. He says, whichever one of you guys doesn't have sexual sin, then, then you just throw the first stone and they leave. And then apparently the whole demeanor of the crowd, the crowd is so uncomfortable that they're stepping away as well. 
It reminds me of another place uh, where Jesus is teaching and he says, hey, take the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of somebody else's eye. He just does it in a, a different sort of scenario. Rather than dragging people out in our hearts and minds or publicly to be judged, we look, we say, all right, where am I? Where am I with Jesus? Am I transparent with Jesus? Where, where is my place with him? So, when we attempt to fill ourselves with any bread that is other than Jesus, and that's brought into the light, we experience condemnation, which we should, which she did, and our self-righteousness is revealed. Our self-justification is revealed. But the ending of the story is, is really awesome, and that's where when these things are brought into the light, there is mercy. When they're brought into the light of Jesus, there is mercy. I mean, I mean look at this. Just try to picture being there, Apparently the crowds have faded out or at least they're far enough away that it's just the two. In verse nine, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and he said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, no, I don't condemn you either. From now on, go and sin no more. You know, just a few chapters earlier, we had this uh, scenario with a woman at the well where Jesus is one-on-one with somebody. Remember, he, he says, I've got water that will make it so that you are continually filled. You'll never be thirsty again. It's this other interaction where there's nobody else around. He confronts this truth. The truth is exposed before him. He knows all about her, but he offers grace along with the bold truth. It's it's so cool how Jesus melds those two together. It's always both. He doesn't erase the sin. The condemnation is still there. He offers for the woman at the well to be the water of life. Later, he says, I am the bread of life. And now he says, I am the light of the world. Water, bread, and light. What else do we need? So Jesus frees her from condemnation, right? He says, I don't condemn you. They don't, I don't. But she doesn't understand all of what's happening. She only understands a part of it. What she understands is imagine some amazing relief. You know, who knows what she was feeling when it's just herself and Jesus. She's getting in touch with who he is. He sent away these religious rulers and and here's... She's just with him. And he says, you can go. You know. The relief that she must have felt. She is not condemned. But here's what she doesn't understand. She doesn't understand that when she's not condemned, Jesus is condemning himself for her. Right? The condemnation is still there. The the suffering that's due for what has happened is still there, but Jesus is now going to take it on himself. He just doesn't say that. That's not a part of the information that she gets right there. Y'all, that is a beautiful thing. The price has to be paid, and he's going to take it, not her. You're not condemned, but I am. And look at this. Uh, The order of that, he says, you're not condemned. Now go and sin no more. Did you notice the, the, the progression? Change follows grace. 
Change doesn't happen before grace. Grace comes and change happens. Okay, this is incredibly important for our understanding of engaging with our world. If we think everyone has to change to be like us or be right before they know Jesus or can be good or even move towards him, then we have gotten the, the cart before the horse. Grace comes before change. And so do we bring mercy or judgment into situations? Today, as you walk through the farmer's market, do you bring mercy when you see whatever you might see there um, or hear or who you're talking to? Or whatever? Do you bring mercy or do you bring judgment? For, for us, if you're a believer, what you've experienced is grace that led to belief, and then action followed that. All of this is compressed into these few verses, these even seven verses that we're reading. So one last thing I want to leave you with, and we will be finished. Um, she didn't come before, this, before Jesus uh, voluntarily, but she is the only one who received the grace personally from Jesus, right? I mean, it'd be great if somebody would drag me and pull him and say, confess, talk to Jesus, tell him, tell it to a friend and be forgiven and move forward. So I'll just leave you with this thought. Don't be afraid to be transparent before Jesus. In your time with him this week, don't be afraid to be transparent. You will experience mercy and grace when what you should be condemned for is brought into the light. Lord, thanks for a morning of uh, bluegrass gospel music uh, to send us out into a beautiful, just unbelievable day. Lord, may we express your mercy. May we come first to all situations with mercy. and May we enjoy and realize the grace that came before we were asked to follow. God, may we follow you well. Um, Jesus' name, amen. Okay, y'all, have a great afternoon.